Morning, everybody. Thank you for coming along. Uh, can we get a round of applause for our speaker this morning, Claire Williams? Um, cool. Okay, Claire, can you tell us, give us like the headlines about yourself, the big things we need to know about you. <laughs> okay, so I was born into a Christian family, went to church a lot, um, became a Christian at a young age. Then as I grew older, I started to have big questions about what I believe. Do I only believe it because my parents do? What about other religions? What about science and faith? Those big, big questions. And um, I was a teacher for 10 years in South East London. That um, I was on my way. I wanted to become a head teacher. And then God changed my plans. And I went away to study um, apologetics, to look at my big question, to, to stress test my worldview. And now I do apologetics, which is looking to give a reasonable or reasoned defense of the Christian faith. Um, and just love interacting with particularly young people for some of these big questions. Amazing, great stuff. You've got a website, haven't you? Uh, got real, got real questions. Dot. Co. Uk. You need to go flag that. Um, I've spent a bit of time on that website. It's a real gift. Um, this lady is really, uh, she's uh, real articulate. Um, hang on, I'm not articulate. I didn't get much sleep last night. Let me start that again. Um, this lady's website is a real gift. She asks some. Uh, cracking questions, uh, some tough questions, and give some really great, thoughtful answers. Um, so she's a gift of a church. She's a gift to us here today at New Day. Um, she's going to get into the talk in a second. We were meant to have a screen in here today, um, and that's not happened, unfortunately. And so bless her. Claire's prepared this stonking PowerPoint presentation, but we can't show you guys. So she's going to have to roll with that, which is not always the easiest thing as a speaker. So give her your best listening faces. And I'm going to pray for her, for us, um, and then we'll hand over and get into it. Father God, thank you so much for the gift of this day. Thank you for your goodness, your mercy, your love to us. Thank you that you know us. Thank you that you're so patient with us and that we can bring our hardest questions to you. Lay them down before you. And you hear us and you know what we need. Thank you so much for the gift of Claire. Thank you for her love for you, her love for truth, um, her grappling with the big questions and serving people uh, with honest and deep answers. I pray you bless her as she speaks today. Just thrill her heart with who you are and help us serve these guys and help us listen, help us hear what you are speaking to us through Claire today. May it all be for your fame and glory, Lord. Amen. Amiola. So hi everyone, apologies that we don't have um, the screen but just follow me please um, and maybe we might get this to you later, I'm not sure but um, yeah we're looking today at a really tough question um, and the question is like how can God exist in a world that's so unfair? So when we look around and we see injustice of every kind, what does the Christian faith have to say about this? And I'm, I'm re I really believe that the God of the Bible can bear the weight of our questions. Okay, when you look at Jesus's ministry, he spends an awful lot of time asking people questions, okay, and answering other people's. We are allowed to ask questions about what it is that we believe. So um, he don't, we don't have to look far to see things like the war in the Ukraine, to see things like there was an earthquake, uh, I believe in Syria not too long ago, mental health struggles, all different kinds of suffering, all different kinds of suffering and injustice and pain. We live in a cost of living crisis. All of this stuff is going on. Where is God in that? How do we make sense of that? But what I want to do first of all, we're going to go through three questions. And the three questions are, one, if God does not exist... What response can we give to the mess and unfairness of the world? So sometimes what we, we rush and do is that, do you know what? I'm going through this suffering. I'm going through this pain. Where is God? Well, actually, let's take him out of the picture and see what we can say. And that's really, really important when we're trying to unravel this question. So if God does not exist, what response can we give? Number two, if God does exist in an unfair world, then what kind of God is he? So it's when we start to look at the character of God. Because some people will say, if suffering exists, then I don't really want to know a God who would allow that. Okay? And then finally, what does the Christian worldview have to offer? It's really important that we understand whether someone is a Christian, Muslim, secularist, agnostic, whatever worldview they have. So we all put on a pair of glasses and through that we view the world. 
So I'm a Christian. I need to take responsibility for what I view the world through, my, my Christian worldview. Through that lens is how I interpret the world. Every single worldview has to respond to the problem of suffering and evil. Every single worldview. So if you are a Christian in here and you had this question, do not feel backed into a corner because every worldview must give an account of the evidence. It's a really good book by a guy called Simon Edwards and it's called The Sanity of Belief, Why Faith Makes Sense. And he really unpacks for you the notion of worldview. So first of all, if God does not exist, what kind of response can we give? Number two, if God does exist in an unfair world, then what kind of God is he? And then number three, what does the Christian worldview have to offer? So let's take three responses that we can give if God does not exist in a world of suffering, pain, injustice, evil and mess. Well, the first one we can give is that life is unfair, deal with it. Life is unfair, deal with it. Now, this is not to say that we can't be sad about the suffering we go through, but it is what it is. It's just the way that the cosmic cookie has crumbled. We live in a universe um, that is that beyond the material world, there's nothing more. Okay, we've, we've, we've arrived to where we are through unguided cosmic forces. There is no designer, there is no God. And so when bad things happen, life is unfair, deal with it. Now, one person who put this into uh, really clear words for us is the the, the famous um, atheist uh, scientist. Absolute profound respect for him and his credentials. He's a professor. He's contributed a lot to evolutionary biology. I do not share his worldview. It's possible to respect someone and their credentials and not to agree with their view. Professor Richard Dawkins said this in A River Out of Eden. In a universe of electrons and selfish genes, blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt, other people are going to get lucky, and you won't find any rhyme or reason to it, nor any justice. The universe that we observe has precisely the properties that we should expect if there is, at bottom, no design, No purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but pitiless indifference. So if we've arrived here with no designer, no creator, therefore no intention to our existence, then we are dancing to our DNA. The universe is unfurling and we dance to the DNA. So when things happen to us, it is what it is. However, and that that is the response, that that is the logical conclusion of a strict atheism, a naturalistic atheism. That's the logical conclusion. That's where we end up. But is it livable? Does that really ring true to when you have a family member in hospital or if you yourself are suffering? Is it, it is what it is. It's just the way the cookies crumbled. And the thing is, when he says there's no justice or no good or no evil, you can't make a measure of when something is bad. Like the implications of this view are horrifying because if a group of people are suffering over there, why should we care if it is what it is? Do you see the implications of that view? Here's another one. Life is only unfair because we see it that way. Okay, let me give you an example. So I remember I was, um, I posted something on Facebook, I know, this is some time ago, but I am still an old millennial. I posted something on there, and it was a video I did about uh, arguing for the, for the truth of Christianity. And someone commented and said, oh, you know, you, Christianity is a harmful religion. You need to get off the bandwagon of life. You need to get off the merry-go-round of life and, you know, think differently and change your perspective and everything will be all right. The view was life is only unfair because we see it that way. Now, many of us, we, we wake up in the morning, we start scrolling through social media, and we might see things like this. Negativity, it can only affect you if you're on the same frequency. Vibrate higher. Yeah? We all got that friend who's manifesting. Yeah? Who's vibing, who's got on a different vibration. And so the implication is, if you're suffering or if bad things are happening, it's because your perspective is all wrong. You need to vibrate higher. You need to manifest differently. 
And if you can't recognize that, you're probably the person who says it to other people. Okay, this is seeped into Christian theology. Okay, it's seeped into the church. It is not of God. We can manifest ourselves into a higher level. Stop waiting for somebody to elevate your game. You are already equipped with everything you need to manifest your own greatness. Well, what do we say then to the thousands of displaced families in the Ukraine because of Putin's aggression? Are they not vibrating high enough? See how it does not work. It's a response when we take God out of the picture, we have to look for an answer somewhere else. And some people would conclude this, that it's just the way we perceive it. That's not the reality. When someone is diagnosed with a, with a terminal illness, is it because they're not vibrating higher? Do they just need to change their perspective and it'll be okay? I'm not sure. I'm sure many of you have seen that film or seen bits of it going around on, called The Secret, that you just need to think your way out of your situation. That does a massive disservice to real pain and suffering. Here's another response that we can give. Life is unfair because we get what we deserve. So karma, what you put out or there will come back to you in unexpected ways. Give only what you don't mind getting back to you or you just got served. Have the day you deserve. See a lot of TikTokers ending their videos. Have the day you deserve. Because what you put out there is going to come back to you. This isn't just about thinking or manifesting higher. This is about you, the things that you do will come back to you. And there is a biblical principle in there somewhere where the Bible says, cast your bread upon the waters, like do good and you'll receive after many days. The idea of sowing and reaping. But this idea that when bad things happen to you, it is because of what you've done. Again, that doesn't hold water. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't dignify us in our suffering. It doesn't work. So these three responses, life is unfair, deal with it. Life is only unfair because we see it that way. Or life is unfair because we get what we deserve. Those three responses, I would argue that removing God does not solve the problem of suffering and evil. In fact, I would say it makes it worse. Removing God does not solve the problem. Okay, then let's put God back into the picture. If God does exist, then what kind of God is he? Well, life is unfair because God determines all the bad and good that happens to us. This takes a deterministic worldview, a deterministic view of God, that God is ordering everything that happens to us, good and bad. Now, there are some branches of Christian theology, Calvinists, who would kind of um, take this view, and there are some who don't. And this, 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 this question about the character of God is one that is a lot, we should get into a long line. This isn't just something we ask in 2023. Christians, theists of other religions, Non-Christians have asked the question about the character of God as it pertains to suffering for millennia. Let me give you an example here. This is from um, Epicurus, a Greek philosopher. Okay, and later this was popularized by David Hume, a Scottish philosopher. And they said this, if God is unable to prevent evil, then he is not all powerful. It's a bit of a conundrum. If God is not willing to prevent evil, then he is not all good. And if God is both willing and able to prevent evil, then why does evil exist? Let me read that to you one more time. If God is unable to prevent evil, then he is not all powerful. If God is not willing to prevent evil, then he is not all good. If God is both willing and able to prevent evil, then why does evil exist? And so for many atheists, they will conclude that because of the presence of suffering and evil in our world, that means God does not exist. And I get why we would say that. In the Psalms, effectively what Dr. Esau Macaulay calls it, trauma literature. Why, Lord? Will you forget me? Psalm 13, powerful stuff. Three questions. Will you forget me, Lord? And so when we... We're in the pit of despair. We may even become a functional atheist because, yo, this God can't exist because I'm in this. 
This is another conclusion people will come to that. Do you know what? Even if God does exist, then he can't be all loving. And even if God does exist, then he can't be all powerful because evil exists. These are responses that we can give if we don't know the true character of God. So what does the Christian worldview have to offer? Well, the first thing we need to, re- to remember, and as I said to you, I remember being at school, being asked questions about what I believe and why I believe it, and feeling backed into a corner sometimes, being at university and feeling like my worldview is the only one that needs to respond to this stuff, when actually, when I'm looking at you know, Richard Dawkins' naturalistic, atheistic response to suffering and evil, that don't help me. That doesn't help my situation. The Christian worldview is hinged upon four big ideas. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Creation, God made the world very, very good. Okay, and this isn't down to whether you believe in literal sort of creation, uh, creationist or if you are a, a theistic evolutionist. That's not in question here. The, the point is, the book of Genesis is t- saying that behind the order and the beauty and the design of the world is a designer and it is God. Okay, so whatever view you take, that's fine. But we, we're saying that it was created with intention and purpose. So the world was created good. The Christian worldview also posits that we fell away. We turned our back on God. So the story of Adam and Eve in the garden. And it's not just then, it resonates even to now. That we continue in our rebellion to turn away from God. And because of that, all manner of suffering and all manner of um, disjointedness and brokenness has entered the world and you will you can if you if you're not a Christian in here if you ask an atheist friend or an agnostic friend we all feel intuitively that the world is not what it should be you don't have to be a Christian to know that the world is a bit messed up we can all feel it it's we it's, it's it's written kind of in our very being we know that things aren't right The Christian worldview says it is because we have fallen and turned away from God. Then we have redemption. We know that Jesus entered human history. We thank God. He entered human history and he has done a work of redemption to to bring us back to God. And so now we're living in the now and not yet. This tension between what God has done and then the looking forward to how we will get to restoration, which when God is going to judge the world, and we thank God for judgment, I'm not here to preach judgment right now, but we'll get to that, okay, and he will restore. So I'm, I'm encouraging you to lean into your Christian theology because it has great explanatory power. It is able to dignify the suffering we feel, Because the world is broken. When someone says to me, do you know what? I don't feel right in my own body. I'm like, yes. The Christian faith affirms that. And says, yeah, the world is a mess. When someone says, this has happened to my family. We've got this genetic disorder. I'm like, yes. The Christian worldview affirms and dignifies that suffering. Where these other responses, it's either your fault, you're not manifesting higher, or it's just the way the cookies crumbled. And there's no reason to do anything about it. So we're going to look at some responses from the Christian faith. So I would discuss three that we get if we take God out of the picture. And we're going to make some responses from the Christian faith. Because sometimes, and I believe this at one point, even as a Christian, that there's not much to say about problem of suffering and evil kind of thing. And these are, this is what you call theodicy. And theodicy simply means explanations or reasons why a perfectly good, almighty, and all-knowing God permits or allows evil and suffering. So these are some, some theodicies. That's what theodicy means. Reasons why God might allow suffering. And I just want to make this very, very clear. God is not Zeus. Okay? God is not the God of Greek myth sitting on his throne and zapping people saying, I want to make someone suffer, zap. The God of the Bible doesn't cause suffering, okay? But he can redeem it. There's a real difference. God doesn't cause suffering. There are consequences to our actions, don't get me wrong. There are times we see in the Old Testament particularly where God allows punishment and judgment from other nations to dispossess um, the, uh, the nation of Israel as a punishment. Okay, And they, 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 they suffer in that regard. But the God of the Bible can redeem suffering. He's not sitting there 
malevolently zapping people. So here are a few responses that we can give out of the Christian faith. The first one, as I'm sure you will know, particularly from your RE classes or your philosophy and theology um, A-levels, is free will. Let me just make this clear. When we're talking about free will... God's nature, God is love. I think it's, um, I think it's John, 1 John uh, 4 verse 8. God is love. The very character, nature, being of God is love. Now for anyone to enter into a loving relationship with someone else, it's got to be done by choice, freely. If you went to a wedding and you saw one of the people at the altar about to say their vows to their partner, and you saw that they were saying their vows because someone, one of the bridesmaids, had a gun pointed in their back. Say it. Speak up. Okay, and they were about to say, say their vows, yeah? You would know something's gone wrong here. You would be witnessing coercion. It is not being freely entered into. Now, the God of the Bible's purpose is to love us, is to be in relationship with us. And for that to happen, he has to give us free will to freely choose or refuse him. A byproduct of free will is the idea that some people will use and abuse their free will to hurt other people. And that is essentially the story of Genesis, that God gave Adam and Eve free will and they chose to rebel against God. They chose to turn away. And as I said, we do it today. And all manner of suffering and evil. And if we notice in the book of Genesis where God punishes them for what they've done and that he curses the ground and that he talks about um, the relationship between Adam and Eve being disjointed and all sorts. This evil, this, the, the suffering that has entered into the world because we've turned away from God because we've used our free will, has affected the environment, okay? Has affected us sociologically, relationally, has had ramifications that ripple out across, across um, creation. Free will. The God of the Bible loves you. The God of the Bible wants to enter into a relationship with you, but he's not going to force you to do that. And a byproduct of free will is unfortunately that some people will use and abuse that. And you know what? The Bible doesn't hide this. The Bible isn't some utopian text over there. The Bible talks about people being abused. The Bible talks about kings ruling unfairly. The Bible talks about women, you know, going through awful experiences. It doesn't sanitize that. The God of the Bible knows this. And we see it plainly before us. And that is actually, ironically, refreshing. That when we see the Bible and we see God's, the story of redemption, God is not hiding or pretending that these things happen to us. Free will, number one. This other one is called skeptical theism. And we're using a lot of technical terms here, but I think it's really good. We should know the stuff, we should know what we believe and why we believe it. Skeptical theism is the notion, it sounds like you're not sure about your faith. It simply means that God may have reasons to allow suffering that we do not know about, particularly on this side of heaven. So one example, it's a great example, and I, um, I remember Justin Briley wrote about this in his book called Unbelievable, and he talked about how he had to take his son to the doctor, and he, the son had to have an injection, and the, the, or some sort of operation, and, and the, the son was crying and looking at his dad like, how could you do this to me? And that they had to have the injection. But Justin knew that his son needed it. And no matter how much explanation was going to be take place in that moment, all the son could do and experience was pain. And that's an analogy to explain sceptical theism, the notion that God may have very good reasons to allow suffering that we do not know. And he's not going to disclose to us on this side of heaven. Even the book of Job is testament to this idea. And let me say this, and I will pray for you at the end. The reason I'm able to stand here and present some of these ideas to you is because Christians have been thinking deeply about this stuff again for millennia. Great Christians, thinkers in the faith, Augustine, Origen, Tertullian, Christian thinkers, Christian philosophers. This, this theory called skeptical theism was popularized by a philosopher called Stephen Wykstra or Stephen Wickstra. Okay? He was thinking about this. 
And he posited this idea, written academic papers on this to refute the, 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 the arguments from the other side. The free will defense comes from a guy called Alvin Plantinga, fantastic Christian philosopher. Where, my question is, where are the Christian philosophers and thinkers in this room? Where are the Christian scientists in this room? You are needed to think deeply about your faith. When Jesus was asked, what, 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 how can I live my best life? Or what is the greatest commandment of all? He said, to love the Lord your God with what? All your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The Christian faith is not just an emotional experience. It is to think deeply. Why? Because we are made in the image of a thinking, deeply, logical God. So you could be sitting here right now doing A-level P&T, and God could be calling you to be a deep thinker, to be writing academic papers. Slight digression. Number three, soul making. Soul making. And this is basically the notion that you can't expect someone to have courage if they've never had to face a fearful situation. Okay, And so basically, suffering develops in us character traits that living a pain-free, happy life would not. Again, I'm not saying that God just does this to zap, but he can redeem. He can get something good out of it. And so one example would be, and I had on my screen here, Martin Luther King Jr. You cannot tell me, honestly, I see so many people online, you've got to live for your happiness. If it's not for your flourishing, don't, you don't have it. You know, you've got to be happy in yourself. And I agree to that to a certain extent. Don't get me wrong. We should be happy to a certain extent, but we're not always going to be. Martin Luther King, you cannot tell me that man was happy in the he-he, you know, white picket fence, bubblegum happiness that we talk about today. He was not happy. But he lived in purpose. Any world changer who's had significant impact on history has had to go against the grain of culture and I'm telling you they weren't happy. But what happened in them? They developed character. I remember reading uh, Martin Luther King Jr.'s letter from a Birmingham jail. Fire! He's able to critique the church that should have been doing something about racism and it wasn't. This was in him because he went through it. Soul making. Perhaps sometimes the things we go through, God is redeeming it and developing character in us that we wouldn't have had otherwise. How many things have you been through that you are then able to bless somebody else with? Or do we want a universe where my friend over there is going through something? I have no clue what they're going through. Why? Because it's just the way the cookies crumbled. God is developing us. Soul making is another response, another theodicy for suffering and evil. Here's another one. This one's a bit more technical. It's linked to soul making. It's called non-identity theodicy. Non-identity theodicy. And what it means, well, here's an example that one philosopher gave. And it's like this idea, you have a prince, okay, and his father is the king, but the prince's mother is a poor common woman. And the prince doesn't like this. He's like, Dad, why couldn't you have had me with, you know, another queen from another country? Why is my mum this poor lady over here? It's, not, it's cramping my style. I don't like it. Why did you do that? But if the prince had a different mother, what would happen? What would happen? He wouldn't exist. He wouldn't exist. So this theodicy is asking the question, have, we, have I arrived, have you arrived to where you are because you are the, 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 um, the, the combination or, the, or, or the, the, you've arrived at where you are because everything you've been through, your grandparents, your parents, I'm the daughter of Windrush parents who had a very tough experience when they came to this country. Okay, Windrush parents and grandparents. And moving on, moving on, am I the product of everything I've been through? And so when sometimes when we're asking God, you know, like Job did, take this away from me. You've got the prophets there saying, I want to die. Are we asking God to literally erase us from human history? To erase our identity? To get rid of us completely? Because the things we've been through 
mark us they 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 shape us and that's part of our own existence so non-identity theodicy asks the question when we ask god to remove certain suffering are we asking god to erase us from history itself now i'm not here to say that some people don't actually want that and get so low and despairing that actually not existing would be better because that's how they feel but non-identity theodicy is saying look Let's not erase ourselves from history here. Let's try to gather some other tools to bear the suffering that we cope with. And finally, the cross, okay? The cross of Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes when we're in church for so long, we go to Easter service, yeah, yeah, Jesus died on the cross, and then he rose again after the faith. It comes a bit too familiar. But the cross tells a very unique story about a God who is transcendent, who is holy, and who has become imminent by stepping into human history, by subjecting himself to all manner of sufferings and derisions, okay? We talked about that yesterday, if you, any of you were in the seminar there, what Jesus was actually like in human history. Poor, immigrant parents, criminalized, endured humiliating execution, endured an, uh, um, an unfair trial, all these things. We know about Jesus because what we see in his biographies, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The cross speaks of a saviour who has made himself, but the Philippians, I think, too, talks about emptied himself so he could come alongside us. And there's this great verse from a poem by this guy called Edward Shillito, and it says, it's called Jesus of the Scars. And it says this, The other gods were strong, but thou wast weak. They rode, but thou didst stumble to a throne. But to our wounds, only God's wounds can speak. And not a God has wounds, but thou alone. When you are in suffering, let me give you this example. When I, my dad passed away in January 2018, the fourth, remember it like it was yesterday. He passed away. And at that time, it was before COVID and being from Caribbean family, when someone passes away, everybody comes to the house. And he was a pastor too, so all, the, all his preacher friends were coming. And the door was open, and sometimes I just wanted to sleep and sit down, but people were coming to the house. And this one couple came, and they were both formerly widow and widower, and then later on they got married. And so they came, and they were my dad's preacher friends. And I was thinking, you're my dad's friends, man, I don't think you've got nothing to say to you. But anyway, they were in the house, they were sitting down with us, and they stayed from morning till evening. Sometimes they told us stories of how they had lost people and comforted us. Sometimes they told us memories of my dad. Sometimes they sat in silence. Sometimes they prayed. But they stayed with us the entire day. And the annoying attitude I had at the start, by the end of the day, I was like, I felt so comforted. Because in that moment, they couldn't bring my dad back but they could be with me in my suffering. This is the God of the Bible, to be with us in our suffering. If Richard Dawkins' view is true, then when we go through suffering, we should expect nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. The God of the Bible has come alongside us and knows what suffering feels like. It hasn't just suffered and there it ends, but it has defeated our ultimate you know, um, um, villain, which is death through the power of the resurrection. Let's go back towards these. The cross, non-identity theodicy, soul-making, skeptical theism, and free will. Now, when we're thinking about apologetics and defending the faith, and someone has an objection to Christianity, or if you have a question as a doubter, you may have you know, some things that give you discomfort as a Christian. The, when we're defending Christianity, it's not about one answer to a question, mic drop moment, ha-ha, Christianity's been proven. There, believe it. When we're defending the faith, it's a cumulative case. Cumulatively, these, I think, five responses to the problem of suffering and evil can be taken together to show, do you know what? An all-loving God can exist in a world where suffering exists. 
and we might not like it and it may not answer all our questions on this side of heaven but it's a much more fruitful much more dignifying response to suffering the cumulative case for Christianity. When I look at philosophy and ethics and morality, when I look at science and the cosmological argument or the fine-tuning of the universe, when I'm looking at um, the historical, the historicity of the Bible or the historical Jesus, when I'm looking at um, beauty, mathematics and logic, all of these things taken together make a cumulative case for why I say, yes, I believe in Jesus. Why is the world so messed up? The Christian worldview says we've fallen. Things aren't the way they're supposed to be. And any non-Christian, anyone who is not a follower of Jesus would probably agree with you that, yeah, this world is messed up. The Christian worldview offers great explanatory power as to why that is the case, offers comfort and some reasons as to why God might allow this and reasons in which we can take comfort. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for today. I thank you so much for everyone who is here, Lord, who is wrestling with questions, Lord. It could be this question today or it could be uh, others that are on their mind. I thank you for them, Lord, that they they have a thinking faith. And I pray, Lord God, that you will bless them. I pray, Lord, that you will comfort them, Jesus. I pray that you will use them for your glory, I'm asking, Lord, that they will not be dissuaded or or turned aside, even if they have to deconstruct their faith and you reconstruct it and put it back together, Lord, and give them wisdom and insight. We pray, Lord, that you will do a work of maturing their faith, Lord, that they will follow you, Jesus. And I pray, Lord, especially for anyone who is really suffering, Lord, whether it's their family, their education, Lord, their friends, their physical body, their mental health, whatever it might be, I pray, God, that they will know that, they, they, that, they, that you love them, Lord, and you are a God who knows what suffering feels like and you can redeem it for our good. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, what a feast and a joy. Guys, you have been so well served there. Served in terms of like just an example of how to think, how to respond to, you know, a question of evil in a really robust way. But gosh, like what hope we have in our God who comes to suffer with us and for us. Okay, so a couple of practical things. Um, First up, um, Claire had her PowerPoint. And what I've done is I've uploaded it to Google Drive and I've put a... QR code out on Instagram so you can find it and have a look at it. So I've used the ID Instagram account. So whilst you're there, you're very welcome to follow. Um, and um, see what I did there? Clever. Um, so it's, I just put it on the story for today. Uh, so search for intentional discipleship and you'll find it. Um, Sorry, I was meant to say I didn't press the next slide. Um, if you want to explore this a little bit more deeply, there's a great book I recommend, and it's by a woman called Amy Orr Ewing. She's actually Dr. Amy Orr Ewing. Uh, it's called Where is God in All the Suffering? Where is God in All the Suffering? And in those beginning chapters, she goes through some of the philosophy of what I was saying in terms of what you can't say, what you can say if God does not exist. Where is God in All the Suffering? By Amy Orr Ewing. O-R-R hyphen E-W-I-N-G. Amazing. Great. Cool. Okay. Does anybody want to put a question to Claire? It can be a question about the topic of evil. It can be a question about defending the faith. It could be a question about just her journey of exploring some of these questions. We've got 15 minutes. We've got this gift of this lady. Let's ask some great questions. Um, when they ask a question, if you can repeat it back on the microphone, that'll be handy. Amiola, do you want to chair this for me? Okay. Yeah, you go first. So this, uh, um, our friend here is asking, in um, a philosophy and theology class, being the only open Christian, sometimes you find yourself having to defend your faith. How would you do that? Um, I would say pick your battles because um, you are there to get a qualification. 
yeah you're there to engage with the the, the um, academic discipline and that's great God wants us to be doing that but pick your battles um, sometimes your teacher will set up a debate and that's great or sometimes you'll hear something mm, it bruises you because it's like mm, that's not I don't really recognize that as Christianity but I'll take the hit because I, and I, I've done this myself so I did an MA a couple of years ago and I'd just come out of training in apologetics and speaking and I went into my MA class back into the secular university and it was like, whoa, <laughs> yeah. And there were times when I would ask questions that would kind of try to um, make people think about what they were saying, the assumptions of what they're saying. And then it didn't really work. No one came and said, I yield Jesus as Lord. That didn't happen. But what really, what really worked was actually having relationship with people in my class. So it's the one-to-one coffees. Yeah, when people are together and they feel that their worldview is under threat, because I've done talks before where people have been tracking with me in a secular setting, and then when I start to say how their worldview is problematic and doesn't answer some questions, it's defensive time. Okay. When that, when that starts to happen, all right, um, people get uncomfortable. And so in a, in a big group, it can be quite isolating. But on a one-to-one, in a conversation, you might just say, do you know what, that's a really interesting point. Maybe we can catch up after class and I'll talk to you. But, but together, people become quite defensive. And I get it. Christians do it too. So pick your battles. Give yourself a break. Yeah? And your life, the fact that you're thinking and living as a Christian, that is going to be such a witness to them. And have those one-to-one conversations if you can. Yeah? Can I add to that quickly? I think just be a bit understanding, like try to understand where they're coming from. Because if they have like a philosophy or really strong like disagreement with Christianity that you disagree with and you know the truth, try to be understanding that they're probably coming from somewhere maybe hurt or they see the world and they don't, they can't understand. So just try and be an understanding first and then defensive after. Any other questions? Yeah, you in the green? How am I able to ask all these questions without losing faith? Um, I think that um, sometimes we see questions as, um, oh, don't go down that slippery path kind of thing. But actually, I think the God of the Bible likes questions. Yeah, in, in Isaiah, when he's calling them, he says, come and let us reason together. Let's have a conversation. The book of Job, he has a conversation with Job. Yeah, Jesus does that. So questions aren't a problem here. The way that I was able to hold on to my faith was a Christianity isn't just intellectual assent, neither is it just emotionalism. God has called us as holistic beings. All of us comes to him. And there are times where I press into the spiritual, where I've seen God powerfully move, answer prayers. Okay, and There are times when I press into the, I don't really feel like worshipping today, but when I compare Christianity against other worldviews, a bit like Peter, I think it's in John chapter 6, where can we go? You have the words of life. I just got to turn back to Christ. The, and the key reason, and please hear me, friend, why well, I was able to hold on to my faith, and I still wrestle with questions now because I did it in community. Too many people go lone wolf down the YouTube rabbit hole and anyone with a podcast mic who sounds a bit confident with no scholarship, yeah, ropey scholarship at best, says something and that's it. The amount of stuff I've seen on TikTok with people reading a scripture, totally out of context, proof texting, and then saying this is the conclusion. So do not go it alone. Do it in community, okay? Um, and see me after. I've got some courses I can recommend if you want to look at some of these big questions. <laughs> Anyone here been a pain? Um, yeah, I think that's a, that's a difficult one because there's, there's a, a real thing of wanting to respect your leadership and, and, and then also not to, to go in such a way where you're disrupting to the point of... So I would say um, you will find your tribe in that sense. It's about finding spaces that... Even that your youth leader can recommend to you. Because I remember I, I took a, a book to my pastor. This is years ago that I'd read. It was written by an atheist. And this book, I was shook, yeah. I took this book to my pastor. I said, yo, can you read this for me? Tell me what you think. And they said, yeah, I'll take it, I'll take it. And a few weeks later, they came back and said, here's your book. I can't read this either. <laughs> I was like, how is that helping me? Okay. It was helpful in that, you know what? This book would cut you. Yeah. Even the pastor. But he didn't help me further. And so finding alternative spaces and not, not just going, again, not going rogue to do that, but with 
them the right accountability, finding alternative spaces. Let me just say this, I would have said it on the screen. On the 16th of September, Saturday the 16th of September, in London, Ilford, we are going to have a thing called Reboot Questions. I also head up a thing with my colleague called Reboot, and it's a big apologetics day where there's going to be loads of content, loads of young people asking big questions. You can come, if you're a Christian, if you're seeking, if you're sceptical, come to that day. We have a massive day of Christian apologetics. So things like that, okay, courses I can recommend to you as well. But you do it accountable to your leadership, okay, but acknowledging that, your youth leader might not have the answer, and that's okay. Because I might come to do a talk to, to you today, but I'm not there with you day in and day out with your discipleship. You know, you're day in and day out. I'm not there. So um, I, I hope that's helpful. Can I also add that I struggled with this. I was asking so many questions last year, and I was so, I think because I was shaky in my faith, I found it so hard to keep believing and keep having faith while asking questions. But if you have like a deep relationship with Jesus and then you're asking difficult questions, they become much easier even if you don't know the answer. So it's like, oh, I have this really big question and it can't be answered or I can't find the answer. Um, and maybe it will happen on the other side of heaven, like Claire said. But at least I know that I have Jesus who loves me. So you have to get like deep into your faith with Jesus first. You have to become knowledgeable of the bible and knowledgeable of who god is so that when you ask those difficult questions you know that you have a god who loves you as well as and you so you can ask them in humility with humbleness and go god i don't know the answer to this but i know that you are the best in all situations yeah over there um how do we distinguish which response to give to which response to give when someone asks us a question it's based in suffering so um i would then my mo is to ask some clarifying questions before i dive in so if someone says to me um it could be suffering it could be why would a loving god send people to hell what do you mean by hell okay what do you mean by love and then from, because I understand what, the, what their understanding is, then I can come with mine. And so you're absolutely right. If someone's, someone's um, bereaved, they're not going to need to hear, well, Alvin Plantinger and the free world, they're not going to need to hear that. But asking clarifying questions, and it also dignifies them that you're not just assuming, here's my pre-prepared response. So I think asking more questions of them before you proceed will, will be helpful. Thanks for that question. <laughs> How do you respond um, when within the church there's disagreement about some big ideas? So it could be identity, sexuality, it could be about hell, those sorts of things. How do you respond? So I think the first thing is to say that, um, for instance, if I get the question about human sexuality, I'll say within the church there are a range of views, side A Christians who are uh, maybe, maybe same-sex attracted and affirm marriage, that sort of thing. Side B, Christians who may be same-sex attracted, but actually would live a Christian celibate life. And you've got side X and Y. So say, say, say make, make known the, the, the range of views. Make known the range of views. And then be clear on where you stand and also the ramifications of that. So I, I'm a more traditional Christian, I would say orthodox, for want of a better word, small C conservative. I came up from sort of black Pentecostalism, high view of scripture, exclusive claims of Jesus, etc. And I think it's helpful to know the range of views, whether it be hell, judgment, identity, whatever it is, know the range of views. So you've done your homework, you're not straw manning that perspective and then saying, this is what I think and these are the implications of what I think. And I actually see there are some implications of your view that I don't think quite do the business, don't, don't quite um, level up to the, to the, to the, the given answer that's uh, helpful. So that's what, that's what I would say. Um, yeah, just being aware of other views. And, and I'll say this, I went to a university and someone asked a question about the Bible. Hasn't it been changed, et cetera, et cetera. And it was texted in, so I didn't know the context of the question. So I had to go on the basis of what I saw. And I said, perhaps this is being asked because um, uh, from a Muslim perspective, the Bible has been changed. So I, I answered it in that kind of way. And then the person came up to me afterwards and said, actually, no, Claire, I asked this question because I've seen, and she was talking about TikTok, I've seen people read parts of the Bible about sexuality and actually it can be interpreted differently. That's what they, she was saying. What do I do? What do I do? And um, so I was saying to her, these are the range of views, okay? Look at these resources. And I had to be careful because there was something uh, with the university newspapers and stuff writing about this sort of thing, so I had to be careful. But my point is that, one, I needed to know exactly what she meant, 
and I didn't when the way I answered the question and two being aware of the range of views sorry my point about her saying that was her so she said that she was raised in Christianity and she'd seen people harmed by this kind of theology a more conservative theology around sexuality and if there's an if there's another way to read this and I want to take like I want to help people I don't want to harm people and the thing is the reason she had got to that point is because she was 18 19 never heard other views and then so when she did find out about other views she felt betrayed by the people who taught her and so the objection went deeper like you hid this from me you hid it from me man and now I know something better and I can help. Do you see what I mean? So we have to, particularly with young people, and obviously you, you discern the way you do that in terms of age, but say, yeah, this is, what, this is what's out there. This is what you will encounter when you go to university, etc. And this is why we take this position and these are the implications of this view. And I understand why someone would do that, but that's the implication of that view. So this, uh, our friend here was saying that... Um, her friends ask her about her worldview. They have different worldviews and they all discuss what they believe. What do I do when I don't have an answer to their question? Humility goes a long way. Say, do you know what? I actually don't know the answer to that question. And that's, but let me find out. Let me see if I can find out. So acknowledging the limitations of your knowledge is okay. And then for resources, I'm going to list a couple of resources that you might find helpful. Uh, one is 10 questions every teen should ask and answer about Christianity. And it's by Rebecca McLaughlin. Ten questions every teen should ask and answer about Christianity by Rebecca McLaughlin. And it's quite teen-based, but if you want a bit more, something a bit more technical, and I think a lot of you could, could deal with this one, it's her other book, which is Confronting Christianity. Do you want to come out here? <laughs> Confronting Christianity, 12 Hard Questions for the World's Largest Religion. Fantastic book. Really good. I recommend this one all the way around um, and I, I mentioned one about suffering <laughs> I mentioned one about suffering um, or oh, about the Bible is one called can we trust the gospels can we trust the gospels it's by Peter J Williams okay so that's some good uh, ways in there um, that you can start to explore some of these questions I'm trying to think of an online resource ah reasonable faith so if you <laughs> reasonable faith if you YouTube reasonable faith uh, and do animated videos animated videos reasonable faith you'll see some great videos by a guy called professor william lane craig he's a christian philosopher explaining some of the arguments for god's existence okay but if you want me to say that again do come to me after all right great thank you so much claire um we're going to finish off the seminar give claire a round of applause If you still have any burning questions that you need to ask now, um, we'll maybe be around after, so just come up and ask. Um, I'm going to hand over to Matt. Just a final thing. Um, Claire talked about question of evil and suffering, and that's a question which touches people very deep. Um, and so we've got our, our gang in the red caps at the back. If anything's come up in the seminar you'd like to pray with somebody about, um, feel free to grab them and pray with them. Um, thank you for joining us for the Think Seminar today. We've got one more tomorrow uh, with my friend Catherine Brown. She's going to talk about unfiltered faith, uh, fresh eyes for social media and culture. Going to help us navigate some of those things. She's a real gift. Come on down. See you then. <laughs>